0: Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am also the director of Trees of Hope, which is a nonprofit in South Florida that exists to train, educate, and equip parents on how to protect the children in their life from being sexually abused. We also offer survivor-led healing support groups for victims of sexual abuse We want to welcome you because this is our podcast. We hope it encourages you. We hope it inspires you. And we hope you leave here knowing that hope is real, your story matters, and that you are more than just a hashtag. So let's get to our next episode. Well, hey guys, welcome back to episode 12 of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and today I am joined again with Holly Caratanudo from Victim Services in Palm Beach. Hey, Holly, how are you?
1: I am not too bad. I'm back in the office, kind of feeling a little bit back to normal. I've, uh, as we talked earlier, I'm conquering the mask knee. the breakouts that my mask were giving me when I first came back to work and had a mask all day. Um, But yeah, doing pretty good. Now, do you see clients
0: or do you see people throughout your day as, and they come in, they use you guys at your services, or do
1: you have to do teleconference? So we're back open. People can come into the offices. Our office isn't as busy. We have um, three other locations that are in courthouses, so they get more walk-ins, but we have had a couple of people. um, We've been dealing with people experiencing homelessness a lot lately who've been um, sexually assaulted while they were on the street. So that we've had a couple cases come in through the door that way. Um, So most of the people that are in this office work in the office. We all get our temperature checked every day. So it's pretty safe being here, but the county policy is still like we wear our masks when we're in like common areas.
0: Hmm. I thought um, Palm Beach was in phase three, as in not necessary to wear mandated masks, only required if the uh,
1: business requires it. I'm not sure. You know, when I walk around, everyone's still in masks, like in the grocery stores, Um, but county buildings, you're still required to wear a mask in a county building. And I think like certain stores, I haven't been anywhere where I saw people like walking without masks. Yeah,
0: I only saw that in um, a video I watched in St. Petersburg, and I guess that is like wide open right now. Okay. Well, cool. I uh, love to, I love that you're back at it. And I mean, you you do such a great job at your job and, um, it's such a needed service. Oh, and actually I wanted to mention that if anyone needs their service, um, that visits the Trees of Hope website, we actually just did a brand new website. It looks so awesome. And we have a page that says how to report abuse. And then we put their link to their site and their, um, phone number on our website so that if you are in Palm Beach or anywhere really, right? Or do you have
1: to be in Palm Beach? So for our, I mean, we provide services to anyone that calls, um, but yeah, you would probably wanna call like your local, there's a national hotline too, that's always a great one, it's the rain hotline, they'll put you in contact with your local hotline. Okay, yeah, so
0: they're on there as well as Nancy J. Cotterman's information for anyone in Broward County. So definitely, definitely utilize these services. They're here, they're free. Um, Also want to say I get a lot of phone calls for um, immediate needs for victims who want to report abuse, who um, maybe... Think that their child is in danger in that immediate moment, and unfortunately, Trees of Hope is not that type of service. We're not equipped to do that. We're basically run by a staff person and a volunteer and volunteers. So um, those Nancy J. Cotterman and the Victim Services in Palm Beach are great resources. And as she said, Rain, who is also on our website as well. This month we are talking about sexual abuse in schools. Now. I'm so interested in this information. I want to know as much as I possibly can, and I can't wait to get into this because I, when I started doing prevention workshops, people were coming up to me nonstop saying that they had been sexually abused at school or their teen were sexually abused at school. And I was like in shock because I was thinking, wow, school is like a public place. Even if you go to a private school, you're in an open area and or people are around. So who would have the audacity to sexually abuse in a school? That was my first mindset. Then I started researching it a little bit more and I realized that, wow, this happened way more than I had known at all. Then I watched 13 Reasons Why and Watched the um, producer's uh, explanation of why they created such a series, and it was because it happens so much in schools. So I just—we need to talk about this. I know parents may think that because they go to a Christian school that they're safe, and I want to start off by saying that no school is safe. Does not matter the. Um, Christian, -Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter who the principals are, the teachers are, does not matter. You always have to be aware and you always have to be educated. And I would also take a step further and know what are the school's policies on sexual abuse. So my first question to you is, what does sexual assault abuse
1: look like in the school? So I think when we hear about sexual abuse in schools, in the media, we often hear these like sensationalized stories about teachers sexually assaulting students. And usually we hear the stories of teachers, you know, having sex with students in their cars and in their homes. Like I can remember as a young kid hearing the story about the teacher out West that um, had this long relationship with a student she ended up getting pregnant by him went to jail and married him when she left jail which is crazy to think about but in reality most of the sexual assaults that are happening in schools are what we call child on child student on student or peer on peer meaning that it's another student another child assaulting a student or child The most common types of assaults that take place in school are unwanted fondling. And when you talk to young girls about this, they say that it's so normalized. They'll talk about, yeah, they just grab our behinds or they grab our breasts and they don't even seem like it's um, something that's like randomly happening. Like This is happening on a regular basis in our schools, especially that middle school puberty age when like the hormones are raging. And then the other types are object penetration, followed, like, lastly by rape and sodomy. Um, Harassment is the most common. We talk about verbal harassment, unwanted sexual commentary, and homophobic name-calling, followed by rumor spreading, which, you know, if you've ever been in a high school and you've heard rumors about someone having sex with someone else and it just gets spread through the school, how difficult that can be to deal with. Um, being touched physically, pulling pants down. We see that a lot with our young men. And then, of course, um, harassment can include being sexually assaulted and then dismissing victimization, doing that victim blaming or denying that it actually happened. And I had sent Nicole an article um, from the Palm Beach Post about a school here in Palm Beach County, one of the Catholic schools, where an 11-year-old girl reported sexual assault allegations and the school principal basically denied it and made her write an essay of like an apology letter that was shared with parents in the school so not only was this child victimized in the school the school turned it around on her and made her at fault for it and then they shared this letter with other people in the school and then that happens did that you know, not only are you dealing with the trauma of the assault, but now you have to deal with the trauma of the rumor spreading, people knowing the details of your life. Sometimes that is like that ongoing trauma that never goes away can be more detrimental even than just the assault itself. Oh my gosh. I mean, this girl
0: is set up for being bullied. I would leave this school. Did they leave? Did the
1: parents take her out of school? She did. And the alleged perpetrator is still in the school. And I guess, what the lawyers that are representing this young girl are saying is that the perpetrator's parents were donors to the school and the principal was like trying to protect this person. And that it's, it wasn't an isolated incident that they believe that this has happened a few times.
0: Yeah. This right here, this, I'm so sorry to say this, but this right here is the number one reason why I get so upset with Christian Churches and schools, or any type of religious atmosphere, because you lose your no. When you do not do the right thing when it comes to honoring and believing a sexual abuse survivor, and you just ignore it, and because of a donor, you get you basically. It's like you're gaslighting this poor girl, acting like she had done something wrong. And it's all because they are fueled by this donor, yeah. and they don't want to lose this donor relationship. And well, you know, uh, if, if I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, do you put your head down, principle? Do you put your head down, knowing that you kept a donor but you potentially ruined a young girl's life? Yeah, 11 and years old. old. Yeah, and the fact that she—if
1: I read the article correctly—she came out and told. Right? She, she told a friend and the friend did the right thing and told the adult and the adult contacted the abuse hotline. You know, And that's what happens a lot of the times is that we our young people are scared to tell an adult themselves. So they tell a friend that's the same age. And luckily, again, we tell kids, if someone tells you something, tell a trusted adult. The trusted adult did the right thing, contacted the abuse hotline, but the principal just did not handle it the right way. And you and I both, you know, we come from these Catholic backgrounds of how we were raised. And for me, the, the biggest reason that I haven't put my children into that Catholic education system is because of the sexual abuse that took place for years in the Catholic Church and was hidden, and these people were protected. And you would think that after all of those stories came out, that the Catholic Church of all churches would be hyper-vigilant to these type of allegations. And then you read the story and you're like, again, like you didn't handle this the right way again, you know, you, you can say that they, they're trying to make amends for what happened all those years again. But if you don't learn to change that behavior, all the money in the world to the victims doesn't matter.
0: Right. It's like the Bible verses that talk about the love of man and the love of money, um, where you basically are compromising what is Right. What is God honoring and what is what should be a policy in your in your school, which is and that's the number one thing I've noticed in Christian schools, Catholic schools, a lot of religious schools, to be honest, um, any religion. I'm talking Muslim, any religion um, that they do not have proper policies in their school because the the. The reality is, is that let's say this young lady did, let's say this is 100% factual, which I absolutely believe it is. She, this report comes out, there would have been, if they had policies in place, they would have followed the policies, no matter how they felt or how it offended or hurt the donor relationship. And they could have done and said to the donors, the parents, we have to follow our policies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but we have to follow our policies. Blame shifted onto the policy. But when you don't have one, you can't, how There's can you follow? Yeah, you have nothing to follow and then you have nothing to fall back on when something like this happens. And it just highlights that they don't care about children as much as they say they do. And it is a business. I mean, schools are a business mm-hmm. and it just, it kills me because All Saints, um, it's, it's been around forever. It's kind of like a huge school in Palm Beach, right? If I remember yeah. correctly, it's a pretty big school. Well, I hope that this affects them. I hope that parents um, become awoke, awoken to this and they get afraid and they pull their children out and they put them in schools that have uh, better, better policies,
1: better systems in place because this is ridiculous. And I think a lot of people with COVID shutting down the public schools, the private schools are actually seeing an increase in students. And, and, and I understand that as a working parent, like if you have to go to work and the private Christian schools are the only ones opening, you know, a lot of parents made that choice. Okay, I'll put my child in this school. But I think if you're putting your child in the school, you should say, do you have a handbook? What are your policies on reporting child abuse? and just ensure that they follow through on those policies. There's some great schools out there that are private schools that are kind of more up to date and follow those protocols. But if they don't have a protocol, they can't follow it. Right, exactly.
0: I mean, that goes along with anything, sexual harassment at a job, um, any, any type of harassment or bullying or racism or anything like that. If you don't have something in place, how, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna follow? What rules are you gonna follow? it's up to you and what you feel in the moment. And sadly, this poor girls gets pushed. I mean, to make her write a letter, these people should be ashamed of themselves. It actually reminds me of a story. I don't want to say the pastor's name, um, but he's a big deal, big, huge pastor. And a young lady was raped at a party that she went to. And it's, it's a Baptist. I think it's a, it's a part of a, um, It's a college, That's a huge Baptist college, and the pastor told her, or told the whole school, because she ended up confessing that she got raped, she came forward, she she, um, did a report, a police report, and he came out and said, you should not have been dancing, and you should not have been wearing a short skirt, basically saying that you asked for it. And when I read this, I was like, this guy should never, ever in the history of the world be quoted again for any Christian, because that is, if he believes that, then trust me, he believes a lot of other things. And he's, it, it's, I don't, I don't want to say that he's sexually abusing, but he's got a major power and control narcissism problem. The fact that he wouldn't even consider that this young lady just experienced something that's going to
1: change her life for the rest of her life. And what are you saying to the perpetrator? You're saying that what you did wasn't your fault, right? That's, yeah. So, And there was another case, um, there's a very um, famous Christian university in Virginia, and a young man sexually assaulted a fellow student at the school, and they were both um, either told to drop out or be dismissed because when she reported the sexual assault, they were in trouble for having sex, basically. Right. Um, that young man went on to sexually assault another woman in Virginia and then murder two young college students in Virginia. So the fact that if they had given him repercussions for his behavior, you know, however many years earlier, two young women would still be alive. And so we have to remember that sometimes sexual violence is a precursor to even more crime. And so if we're, and we talked about this in our last episode, like if you're not doing something now, you're going to allow this perpetrator to continue this behavior and it could escalate. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So
0: we've gone over what it looks like in schools. We, I think we have a pretty clear understanding that it can, oh, and I want to clarify because you did talk about unwanted fondling and, I want to clarify that that's a huge difference between experimental, where two consenting young individuals come together and sort of, um, you know, experiment by touching or fondling each other in 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 learning about their bodies or their each other's bodies this is unwanted. Like I didn't ask for this and I never consented to this.
1: Right. right. You're, like, you're walking down the hallway and someone grabs your behind and you don't even know who it was because there's so many people, you know, or they grab your breasts as you're walking by. And it can be really, it's like losing a sense of security, losing a sense of like your bodily autonomy, that this is your body and you're in control of it when someone just grabs it without your consent. Yeah, we're like, yeah, my
0: body's not my own, and it's a free-for-all. Anybody can just touch it. That happened to me. I was at um, Bike Week in Daytona, and I was walking across the street, and the minute my legs opened, somebody stuck their finger and literally got a perfect shot right up into my crotch. And um, I remember leaving, I was so, I, I I needed to leave, like leave, leave the whole place. Wow. I was so distraught and upset. I felt like, how dare somebody, I remember every moment. I remember the smell, I remember my outfit, I remember the way I felt in that moment. And it was like almost more um, painful, that like quick like assault was more painful than like the other things because it felt like there's no safe place. Like I was just minding my own innocent business, walking across the street. That's, you know, that's a normal thing to do. And I got assaulted just in doing that. Um, So I can only imagine if that happens at schools, um, well, which is my next question, how often is this happening?
1: So we have a hard time tracking sexual assault in school because there's no national requirement to track sexual violence in schools for uh, primary and secondary schools. We know for colleges and universities, they have Title IX requirements, they have to track their data, but for whatever reason, we don't feel like our elementary, middle and high school students, we need to track that information. So one study looked at from 2011 to 2015, they were able to find, so that's like a four year period, 17,000 reports of sexual assault in schools. Now, that's only reports. So we know that sexual violence is highly underreported and if the schools are getting that information, they don't necessarily have to document it anywhere. Um, Again, more often it's happening between peers and we know for every one adult on child sexual assault, there are seven Child on child sexual assault. So again, you hear about the teacher, student, you know, someone who works at the school assaulting a student, but you don't hear about those child on child sexual assaults.
0: Wow, you just like opened my mind to information I had no idea about, which is that you're saying under in grades middle school and under, you do not have to report that as in report um
1: however you now what did you say about sec um so um, they most schools and most teachers i would think across the united states are mandated reporters where they have to report child abuse to a national or a hotline get you know investigated does the school have to track how many of those abuse or assault cases happened on their campus no so even though the teachers and the school administration have to report it to an abuse hotline there's no national mandate to say you need to report as such and such middle school how many students were sexually assaulted in your school this year so okay. we track that data to know how often this has actually happened and parents If you're trying to figure out, okay, what school do I want my kid to go to, there's no way for you to look and see, oh, well, this school had so many sexual assaults, this school didn't. Like for colleges and universities, you can go and they will, they have to give you that information. You can see how many sexual assaults happened on campus, how many violent crimes. But for middle school, high school, elementary school students, there's no way to find that information out for each school. Okay. So this is, this is like killer to me.
0: Why with the Me Too movement, with all these people who are coming out, exposing this stuff, how come somebody has not come and said, okay, we need to fix this. We need to make this a requirement just like it is in colleges. What's the, it sounds like there's something stopping that.
1: I don't know if there is some sort of barrier where there's still a group of people that don't think that sexual assault happens. Like in, in schools, elementary and middle schools, I think it's more acceptable for people to think, oh yeah, colleges, they're unsupervised, they're drinking alcohol, of course it'll happen there. But there's still people that wouldn't believe, if you were to tell someone on the street that sexual assault is, or sexual abuse, we'll say, is happening between kindergartners, they'd be like, there's no way. But we know that it does happen. You know, We know that you know kids learn behaviors in a variety of ways, and then they might go and do this same behavior on another kid in their school. People kind of want to pretend like it doesn't exist. You know, we don't even have a national child abuse database. So if you are um, a verified for abusing a child in the state of Florida and you move to Minnesota, there's no way for Minnesota to check a national database to see if you've been accused of abusing a child in another state. So unless you say, Oh yeah, I worked in Florida, then they'll think, Oh, okay. You know what? Let me go and pull the records from Florida. But if I don't tell you I worked in Florida, how would you know that? And well,
0: then a background check would that. I mean, I know that you can you, but if you've been classified as a predator or a sexual abuser.
1: Right. So if, if you're on like a list as a sexual predator, you more, more likely are going to pop up. Okay. Um, But there's a difference between so that's criminal law so child abuse records and child abuse cases are different than criminal cases so you might have been found that you did commit child abuse but when the police and the state attorney looked at that case they said "Mm, there's not enough evidence for a criminal case so we can't go after them criminally so there's two different types of cases so there was like a terrible story and if i'm repeating myself did i tell you this about the podcast about the two women that adopted all those children up in like, no, okay, so there's a really great podcast. I'll have to think of the name and send it to you about a couple, two women who adopted a lot of children, like five or six kids. And they were having people call abuse hotlines on them in like three different states where they had lived because they were neglecting the kids, not feeding them, et cetera. And there was concerns of physical abuse. And every time a case would be investigated, they would move to another state to avoid that. They ended up committing suicide with the kids in the car and driving off a cliff in California. Oh my gosh. But no one ever knew that they had, like every time child abuse investigators would go into the home, they would think there was no background on this family because they were new to the state and maybe the records didn't show up in time from the other states and that family would skip town again. Wow. So we don't have a child abuse national record keeping place, and we don't have a national database of child abuse and sexual abuse in schools as well. Wow. Okay.
0: Um, I mean, I didn't realize how big of a, um, d- a lack of information or a lack of um, – what do you even call this? Reporting, procedures, yeah. whatever, that we – That it sounds like we're, hist- we're archaic. Like, we're – like, this is – such a problem and people are, it feels like it's like, well, let's just not, let's just not open that wound kind of thing. Let's not, cause if we go down that path, it's going to be like a rabbit hole or Pandora's box. And we're gonna have to like really focus on that.
1: I mean to me this is insanity because and it seems like an easy fix with the IT world that we live in today that there should be some way to nationally collect this type of information so that you know people move around the country all the time and we need to keep our children safe and there's so much talk about keeping children safe there's simple ways that we could do that
0: right I mean I just went and got my concealed weapons permit. I had it before but I let it go. And um they basically explained to me that you know you become into a national database where as I go purchase my guns and I go get certain things I should pop up as a um as my permit. My permit should pop up. If they have that for guns, they should be able to have this for predators. Right. Or or just just something that will because a national database isn't necessary. like, this isn't some big, like, whoa, can we possibly do this? Like, it's happening. It's called a website. Right. And <laughs> you can be anywhere and log in somewhere. And all you have to do is, like, I know when I hired, when I used to work at um, the other place that I worked at for many years, I had to run background checks on people all the time. It should just pop up and it should just be, it doesn't need, it doesn't need to come in a criminal background. It could just say, no, I'm um, happening in this, this case was, this case happened and that's it. It doesn't need to get into great detail and all it needs to be is an added um, sign off for, that's actually one of the things that this organization that we work with is called ministry safe. And basically they say, when you do your background checks, do not rely on any sexual um, background information to come up um, because of this. What exactly you're saying? So, in your interview and in your res, um, when you ask them application questions, you need to ask these very specific questions. Have you been charged of sexual abuse in another state? Have you had any type of sexual abuse happening in um, that never went to court? Anything like that? Because a lot of times, what will happen is when they see that you're asking those types of questions, the applicant will remove themselves. Mm. They won't even continue moving forward because they're they're like, "Oh wow,
1: they're they're on their ball here." Right. You're being diligent, and you really want to ensure that you're not hiring someone who's going to be a predator. You yeah. Know? And that's half the battle. If you, like you said, if you have a policy that you are not going to hire someone that has been accused or there's suspicion, because. You know and i understand that people want to say oh well sometimes people make false reports less than it's like three to eight percent of cases are false reports and that's the same for any crime three to eight percent of people falsely say that their car was stolen right so why do we make that a big deal in sexual abuse and sexual assault cases if some i always say like if there's smoke there's fire if there's allegations if there's suspicion that's coming from somewhere It, it there's something, that person did something inappropriate, and someone felt a certain way about it, and they made an allegation, and believe me, where there's smoke, there's fire in most cases.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think it was you. <laughs> I, you know the statistic better than me, but um, out of all the cases that were came
1: forward, there's it's like less than 1% is false. Right, right, and yeah. only... Um, less than 3% of perpetrators spend a day in jail. So when we right. use those, like you're saying, when you use those um, list of sexual predators to determine whether or not someone has a history, they're the only people that got caught and were found guilty. Imagine how many other people, the 97% that haven't been caught. Right. Yeah. One of the, one of the alarming
0: um, statistics I had recently read about was On average, a predator will have 255 um, instances of sexual abuse before they get caught, arrested. So that's why we emphasize at our, our prevention workshop is that it is important that you don't, as a parent, rely on the school saying, oh, well, we did a background check like, okay, and what else, you know, it is, it's, it's difficult, and you, it's, I think a lot of times it's, like, I think about me, what what I'm gonna do, and I always act like I said to you, like, I always think I'm gonna be this, like, fierce warrior, and, like, come in and, like, say that I'm gonna do all this stuff, and then it comes down to it, and you don't want to be that odd person who, who's, like, they're like, why are you making such a big deal about this? We, of course, children's safeties are, and then you don't want to be the person who's like flagged, like over, overreacting or overdoing it. But it's like when it comes down to it, I'd rather, I'd rather. Sit down with a principal or sit down with the school administration and just say, this is my background. I was sexually abused or I work in this field. So I'm sorry that I'm asking a lot of these questions and this may be um, uncomfortable for both of us, but it would really make me feel a lot better if I had this information. And if you don't have it, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to send my child here necessarily, but what can we do to make sure we have some of these things in place? That's the best thing. I mean, one of the things I tell people all the time is go online and read the reviews for whatever school you're taking your child to. If you're, if you feel that your school doesn't have the proper policies in place, check out online. If they've got some bad reviews, because especially um, caregivers or like babysitter places or like um, daycares or things like that, because nowadays people, they go off. They'll, they'll say everything that happened on an online review So those are first steps, you know, to figuring out maybe is this school the right place for my child Mm -hmm. or this daycare or whatever. Um, Okay. So let's move along to the next question that I have is I'm assuming it's not just girls being sexually assaulted in schools. So tell us who
1: is being sexually assaulted in schools. Yes, it's definitely not just girls. It does happen more often to girls and girls do experience more sexual harassment in the schools, but boys often do as well. And especially with the boys, a lot of times it's those homophobic comments. And a lot of the young men will say that they don't even identify as on that LGBTQ spectrum, but it's the idea that someone is putting them into that box and making those homophobic comments comments that's sexually harassing them so these are even young straight boys that are getting those comments and feeling harassed um five percent of the cases did involve five and six-year-olds it's not a significant number but we need to be aware that it does happen in preschool kindergarten and first grade classes like you said daycares when i worked in broward we had a quite a few daycare cases and you know luckily the cases tend to be um a young person is being sexually abused and they come to the school and they act out that behavior or they saw a movie that they shouldn't have seen and they come to the school and they act out that behavior. And, you know, the one thing I would caution parents about sometimes is they would get upset that the school notified them, oh, you know, there was a kid in the class and they you know expose themselves to the rest of the class and i always tell parents hey if that school is telling you that information that's kind of a good sign because some schools would hide that they wouldn't even tell you because they don't want you to think that they're a bad school if they're addressing it and they're letting you know that this happened you can talk to your child about it because we can't keep our kids in a bubble as much as we would like to it's better to have those schools letting you know when these incidents are happening Um, Sometimes we would say, like, you know, a certain school looks bad because they report all these cases of sexual violence. Let me tell you, especially when it comes to colleges and universities, they all have sexual violence on their campuses. Some schools just do a better job of allowing students to report, giving them options to report, and making it a safe place for them to report. So don't always be turned off by, like, a high number of reports. Ask them what that looks like. What is their policy and protocol in place? If they have that open door policy where they want students to report, they take the report seriously, that's a good thing. Um, When it comes to our young students, we do see an increase significantly between 10 and 11 years old. So that pre-puberty, fourth to sixth grade age, Um, That's before elementary school ends in fifth grade, so we really need our older elementary school students need to be having these discussions and being aware that this can happen to them as well. Mm -hmm. And it continues to arise until 14 years old and drops when they enter high school usually because high schoolers tend to be more normalized about sexual behavior, where middle school and and elementary school, um, it's more sexual harassment and sexual assault that's taking place. okay so um where in schools do these assaults happen i thought it was interesting in that article they specifically said that this young girl the 11 year old in palm beach county was sexually assaulted when the teacher left the class unattended because that is exactly where sexual assaults happen in schools anywhere students are unsupervised Mm -hmm. buses bathrooms hallway and locker rooms um we hear a lot about sexual assaults in the high school locker rooms um the hallways when you're just walking down the hallway and someone grabs you inappropriately like we just talked about gym class, lunchroom, there's a lot of sexual harassment happening where there's, you know, that social interaction that's going unsupervised.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Um so if I'm a parent and I am um, concerned about, you know, the this situation are there any laws or legal concerns that I can be aware of to this so, behavior? Like yeah, I know we already
1: some of that. We already talked about, yeah, already talked about that, that not having a mandate to track sexual violence. Only eighteen states require training for teachers, administration, and students focused on peer-to-peer sexual assault. And I wish more schools would do some of that bystander intervention training. So when you hear someone making a comment, you know how to stand up for another person. You know how to respond because most of our young people are, are influenced by other young people. So if their peer is standing up for someone else or telling them like, hey, when you grabbed her butt, that wasn't cool they're going to be more influenced by that peer telling them that than a teacher or a parent. So we really should focus on bystander intervention in our schools, getting students to stand up for one another, know what the red flags are for that type of dangerous behavior. Um, it is a felony offense for an authority figure, so a person over 18 who was employed, volunteering, or contracted with a school to engage in sex with a student under 18. Because we do have that Leeway in the law where individuals who are 24 years and younger can have sex with 16 year olds legally in the state of Florida, we have to know that that law does not apply for authority figures who work in a school. So, anyone who's, so it could be a 19, 20 year old who's working at the school in some capacity, if they have sex with a 17 year old student, they might think. That it's legal because they're in that age of cons- consent range but if they are employed at the school and they're an authority figure it's not legal that's a felony offense wow now would that
0: apply to the same thing for like a coach or yeah. and like a youth leader because i hear a lot of um excuses or people saying well like for instance i there was a young lady or she's now older, but she came out and she said that her youth leader, pastor, um, had sexually assaulted her. And his whole thing was, I was 18, you were 17. And it was like, it's still sexual abuse. She right. didn't want it.
1: Right. But and if they, she didn't want it, then that's that's pretty clear. It doesn't matter what the age of consent is. And we say that all the time. You can have the same, you, you can be in that age of consent, but if they don't want to have sex with you, then it's abuse or assault. Um, right when it comes again this is where criminal law and child abuse statutes are a little bit different if that youth leader is a guardian over that 17 year old so they go on a camping trip and the 18 year old is the authority guardian over that 17 year old per the child abuse standards they could be convicted of you know child abuse because they're the guardian but if it's if it didn't have okay, say she didn't, she did consent to it. and She's 17 and he's 18. The criminal law might not prosecute that because of the age difference. So, it, and it doesn't involve a school. But if it involves a school, you there's no sex. To be. And like, I always get frustrated when I see people defending teachers the same way. Like, oh well, she came on to him. How often do teachers here don't have sex with students? Like, you they hear that when they're trained. They hear it when they're in the school. There is no question for teachers. They're supposed to be the adults, they're supposed to be the authority figures. There's no excuse. Right. I
0: I mean, I listen, I I have been around, especially at the church that's over here, some of these young guys look very old for their age. They're like they, they're sixteen and I'm like, dude, you definitely look like you're in your twenties. But even me and my husband had talked about it. It's like it's a mental check where you always have to say I'm in authority. Like I'm the adult. I need to act like it. Even if I'm attracted to this person and flirtatious flirt flirtiness feels like fun and it feels it needs to be squashed and like shut up right away because I'm still the adult and I still need to um, teach children because they are a child. They're not 18. How men. I mean, and women are supposed to treat the youth that we're supposed to be doing that, especially as a Christian. Um, you know, it's not a free for all for young youth leaders to go, okay, great. Now you're around a bunch of young women. And I hear it a lot where people will, you know, call me for advice and they'll say, you know, our youth leader, he's, um, uh, a young girl is like, they're taking Instagram photos and she's kissing his cheek. And I'm like, for me, for me at Trees of Hope, that is a reprimand. That is immediately something that you need to deal with right away. I would ask him to take that photo down or her to take that photo down. And I would bring them in and I would bring her parent the parents in right away. I would I mean I would not just lightly glaze over that as oh it's so cute, they're having a great time. No, it seems like this guy is is enjoying the presence of young women and if we teach young girls that it's okay to do that to then then when they're in a boss relationship down the road and their boss is like oh give me a kiss on my cheek they're gonna they're gonna think that that's a part of the job and they need to do that and I've shared this many times that's a part of my story I mean I was sexually harassed by my supervisors two of them that were prominent supervisors in my life for many years and I just would laugh it off and act cute and uh, now looking back on it I mean I I would never do those things now I would I would quit or I would confront the person right away, but it was because I felt like it was my obligation to submit to that person
1: because they were in a place of authority. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, how important it is for young girls to have adult role models, male adult role models that treat them respectfully. And so when you're having that conversation with those young male youth leaders, that's a part like, Hey, you wanna show these girls that they can have positive relationships, totally platonic with men in their life, and they can feel comfortable and safe around those people. Like That's so important for these young male leaders to have that kind of influence over these young girls. It's gonna teach those young girls later in life what respect looks like. And when they choose relationships later in their life, then they already know what respect actually is. Right, I, I totally agree. Um, Okay, so the next question I have
0: is what can a common, just a citizen or a person or schools do to prevent sexual abuse? It is preventable, right? So it's not like this is
1: just our lot in life. It is preventable. Definitely having programs to define sexual violence, like the difference between harassment and assault, and encourage that reporting by students and teachers. Um, Like you had mentioned earlier, they need to have that protocol in place and they need to follow the protocol every time counseling services and tutoring for victims one thing that people often don't think about when someone is sexually abused assaulted harassed in school they might decide that school's not a safe place for them anymore and they might decide to become truant and not attend school anymore so not only are they dealing with the trauma of what happened to them but there are economic and personal potential losses that take place so we know that sexual abuse or sexual harassment in a school can greatly define that person's later life. Imagine if you stop attending school because the sexual harassment becomes so severe and therefore what, what are your choices in life look like later? We know that substance abuse increases, running away behavior increases, and it can lead to more criminal behavior later. um when when students report assigning them an escort for hallways ensuring that the accused attacker is not in the same classroom we hear that a lot from young people they're scared to go back to school because the person's at school so working with the school to set up safeguards um, surveying the students we need to ask students do you feel safe at school if the school isn't asking their students that they have no idea what is happening so asking students asking teachers What are some of the things that make you feel unsafe at school? And then putting things in place to make it a better environment. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about identifying sexually aggressive students early. So if you see in elementary school that there is a student who just seems a little bit more interested in sexual behaviors, Getting parent involvement early to deter the behavior and ensure the safety for the child. We want to make sure we stop any of those behaviors before they escalate. And then the whole idea of positive peer pressure using bystander intervention. We have our green dot program here, which has actually been shown as a bystander intervention program to reduce sexual assault on campuses. What's the green dot program? So it's looking for those red flags and then it teaches you ways to actually intervene on those red flags. And so it's all about being a bystander, being a person who surveys the situation and it's like, I, I you know, have that gut feeling that we talked about and I know that I can do something here to help protect this person. You know, we hear those amazing stories of individuals who see something and they say something and they change and stop someone from being sexually assaulted. We need more of that.
0: So how does one become a green dot person um especially at such a young age when they're like I think me right now obviously I'd be a green dot person, but the girl I was when I was a kid, I was dealing with being bullied. I was, I had my own stuff going on. I would have been, I wish I would have been, but how does
1: somebody get there? Yeah. I think it's teaching young people skills. We can't just tell them what to do. We have to teach them skills. We have to teach them. This is your body. This is your personal space. This is your personal bubble. And when someone gets too close and you feel uncomfortable, here's something you can do or say to let that person know, I'm not here to be victimized. I'm not here to be taken advantage of. You know, I never want to put the blame on a victim, but I think we could do more prevention work in giving young people self-defense mechanisms, verbal self-defense. I'm not talking about like punching somebody. It's more about verbal saying to someone, you're a little close, you're in my space. Could you back up? And kind of being assertive, having that belief that you can actually say it. Because again, it's one thing to tell someone, hey, if they get too close, you tell them they're too close. What do they say? You're in my space. Back up. Like that's like a simple way. I think you have your book that's coming out. What are the things that you're saying in the book? Um, well, we give them like Plan Bs for everything, yeah. like
0: option, because a lot of it was written with the mindset of you could be made fun of if you do this. So here's how you can find your inner voice and believe in yourself. Like don't prioritize someone else's opinions and feelings for you over your very own. Because I know for myself, I'm like, as I'm listening to this, I'm like, gosh, it's such a, that would be like a whole new world if we could live like that. But I'm thinking when I was a kid, if I would have told some of the kids that were definitely doing some fondling some grabbing of our butts and stuff like that if I would have been like back up they would have been like why they would have been like why are you being such a bi why are Uh you and been loud and made me feel like shamed all of a sudden but if I mean, I ended up do being this person, so I can't say I wasn't. But like, I would have came back more intense, like, back off me, get off me, that kind of thing. But I can see, I can see somebody who hasn't quite found their voice or their strength, or and doesn't believe in themselves.
1: And that right there would have silenced them forever, right there. That little moment of shame. I'm 35 and I was just telling you I still struggle with this. Like social appropriateness. Like I never want to embarrass anybody else. I never want to make a scene awkward. And what type of situations I've accepted in my life because I didn't want to be that person. And I definitely want to raise my daughter differently. Luckily, like as much as my son is sweet and an empath, my daughter is like, has such a backbone. Like I will be like, there's, you know, some kid down the street had my son's toy and I looked at my daughter, I'm like, can you go get your brother's toy? Because I knew she was going to go and she's younger, march down there and get that toy. And sometimes I've had people say to me, oh, she's a bit bossy or she's a bit, you know, strong-willed. And there's this idea that girls shouldn't be that way. But I want her to be that way. I was never that way. And I look at her and I'm so proud that she can stand up for herself. And, you know, I teach her about respect and that as well. But the fact that she has no problem telling people when they're being mean that they're not going to be mean to her friends, I could have never done that. I'm amazed by that behavior.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I just that I mean at Trees of Hope that is every every goal that we have with everything that we do is to find a way to empower the parent and/or the child through the parent to find their voice to believe in their voice to recognize that their feelings matter over everyone else's um, because if we can get that messaging in and down and. I, I do think it can make a huge impact in believing your inner alarm, believing in yourself. When you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to freeze. You you your your body may just do that, and don't feel shame if it does. But you don't have to. And here's how you can get out of that. And here's, you know, that's why our children's book is so important because we we have one of the the one of the um, main foundational teachings is to shout out and people are I've been asked me they've asked me what what if they're on like what if they bring them to a place where they're silent and or sorry where they're all alone like a room or like a hotel or like somewhere where there's no one around and it, I, it go, I said to them but it doesn't matter about getting heard it's for themselves. they need to shout out even if it's for themselves, to know they have it within them to scream. Because could you imagine if a young child is in a situation where they're in their home and their dad comes into their room and they've read this book and they understand some of the key concepts and the dad starts to touch them and all of a sudden they just start screaming. "Ah!" I mean, what will that do? One, the dad will be like freak out, but then also for them, they'll know, wow, I have the power from within
1: to do this to yeah. stop this and all I did was shout. There was one really famous case that I studied in school where um, it happened in New York City, probably back in the 70s or the 80s, a woman was sexually assaulted and murdered outside an apartment building and multiple people heard her yelling and they all thought it was domestic violence or like a couple having issues and this was a stranger sexually assaulting and murdering her and nobody intervened. And so when we hear that yelling, it's also on us to be those bystanders and to get up and do something about it, you know? So we have to be ready. Like when you see a kid freaking out, like, do you know this person? Is, are they hurting you? Like all those things that, you know, we've been told we should do. We have to practice doing it and be ready to take action.
0: Yeah, Totally. Okay, so then the next question is: is sexual harassment? Um, I know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but can we define it a little bit more of what sexual harassment is, and give us some causes for sexual harassment that would happen in school? Because I think a lot of people ignore this one, and they say, "Well, because it's verbal, it's not that big of a deal." But they don't realize the verbal wounds can
1: kill a heart it can it can do more damage than physical wounds exactly and not only does it damage you it also makes you more vulnerable to later sexual violence Mm -hmm. um sexual harassment it's a form of gender-based violence it's commonly defined as unwanted or unwelcome sexual attention so it's that unwanted unwelcome sexual attention someone saying something or doing something that you're not consenting to that you didn't ask for um most of the time as women we talk about like when we're walking down the street and people honk or yell out their window. And it can be really, even if it seems like it's coming from not a bad place, like most men would tell you, well, I don't think that guy wanted to hurt you. I can say that when I used to live on the kind of a busier street in Broward and walking down the street, one time I was coming down the street. So people were coming from behind me in their cars and they were just beeping. It was like three different cars that came by and beeped. Every time I jumped and I felt like I can't even walk down the street in my own neighborhood without getting beeped at. And as much as nobody jumped out of the car and physically hurt me, it still made me feel unsafe because there are people that do that, that literally pull up next to you, pull you in their car and sexually assault you. And even though you're just beeping, it's still making me feel unsafe. I think that sometimes we think of sexual harassment it's an individual be- behavior or problem or a lack of social skills uh, immature interactions with the opposite sex it's also a way for Males to assert their dominance over women. And I think we need to ensure that men know that that is unacceptable, that they don't need to say or do those things to show like their power and their machoism Um, and also will protect the idea that you know especially in those high school ages if guys want to show that they're straight or guys want to show that they're like a sexual guy they use sexual harassment of girls to like show their masculinity with other males mm-hmm. and we're in 2020 and how do we stop that behavior and how do we let men know that they they don't have to do that and they don't have to say or do those things to show that they're straight or show that they're masculine
0: yeah so one of the ways you could do that is ordering our saint magazine, which is for young teen boys. Um, it talks about all the things that you literally just talked about, locker room talk, um, and how to basically be a saint. And I'm not saying like a saint, like a priest. I'm talking about how do you be a good guy. How do you be a gentleman? How do you respect women? How do you listen to boundaries? How do you feel emotions and um, your body changing and desires without acting on them and especially without consent acting on them? Um, And it comes along with a parent guide. So the entire time while your child is reading that, you could be reading along. Um, We recommend that the parent read Saint first and then give it to their kid and then read the parent guide because we give them a bunch of different activities or questions to ask at very specific points of the chapter. And it's it's pretty cool design. Um, it's laid out just like a magazine would be like a fashion magazine or like a music magazine. So it's not something that is like, this is weird, I don't want this around my kid. Um, and nothing on it says sexual abuse prevention. And we did that on purpose so that it's not turned, like, you know, you can bring it anywhere and share it with kids. Um, But that's a great way to begin this process and begin teaching your kid. I mean, we always think that our kids should just inherently know how to be gentlemen. And it's not the case. Um, You know, my, my, I have brothers. Um, They, my dad was a strong male figure and, you know, very clear on what was appropriate and inappropriate. And thank God for that. You know, my brother's never had any issues with women or we've never had anything come out about either one of them. Um, and thank God for my husband too. But it takes investment from a parent. And and you're, you're a, ch- a child's not gonna learn how to be a gentleman or to be appropriate with women. Um, they're gonna learn it either at school with their friends, or they're gonna learn it from you as a parent. And I don't know the statistic exactly, but we do talk about it in the St. Magazine that parents are predominantly the number one influence in a child's life. So we always think that like children, like you know, teen, like peers are. Um, if you do parenting properly, you can be the number one influence in that child's life. Um, and especially a father, a father has such an impact on a child's life, especially a young boy. Um, I know men in my life that had horrible dads and honestly, it, you, it reflects in their personalities. And then when you see a man and they've got a good father who invested in them and, you know may not have been perfect, but did the right, did, did the investing that spent the time poured into their child. There's such a difference in that person. And I, I, I say this all the time. I dated the guys who never had good dads and those were horrible men. I never got too serious with them. It was always just like whatever flingy kind of thing. And then meeting my husband who had a great dad um, and invested in him and, um, you know, was a proud father and, and showed up for everything that he could show up for. Um, he's a good man.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm I thinking also- too as you talk is that that magazine and program would be so great for mentors like for those individuals that don't maybe have a dad in their life but they have you know the big brother or some of these other mentoring programs if you're an adult male mentor and you mentor a young man like this would be a great program to use with a young man because coming from another man they need to hear it that way you know that's brilliant i yeah i didn't even think about that that would
0: be something that we could definitely like say you know, this is the parent guide, also a mentor guide. Yeah. Uh, so that We could change the language a little bit to be like, if you're mente- mentoring somebody. Brilliant. Very smart, love that. Um, okay, well, I just wanna final uh, finish up with just a few tips for a parent who now has heard all of these things and they're saying, okay, what do I do from here? and we talked about the importance of having that sit down with teachers and school staff and things like that but let me just give you a couple prevention tips so first um it's important that you like we said we know who your the teachers are who are going to be in your child's life now if there's a lot of different teachers get to know them and and ask them do you know the facts about sexual abuse Try to understand. Do they do they understand myths? Are they looking at myths as the key thing here? Like a lot of times, I'll talk to parents, like I've said, and or adults, and they'll think that w- girls are the only ones who get sexually abused. Boys don't get sexually abused. So it's like simple little things like that where you can ask them. I mean, they don't need to know stats like right off the rip. They don't need to under. They don't need to know every stat out there, but just know the facts and know the difference between those and myths. Um, you know, some key facts are the majority of children and teens are most likely to be sexually abused by someone they know, love and trust, like a family friend, a mentor, uh, a coach. Um, And these things often happen in in families. This means that schools may not be, or the schools may be a safe place for that child. Um, So it's important that that teacher is aware and sees the signs of sexual abuse. So you just wanna run down a couple of things with them. Are you aware of these things? Um, make sure that they understand that it's not just um, a specific race or religion or socioeconomic level or age that gets sexually abused. Um, it's also, like I said, it's important to know the signs. Are they aware of signs of sexual abuse? And, and Maybe just having these conversations by saying to the teacher or, or the staff that's over, your, that's over your student or your child and say, you know, what, are, what do you know about sexual abuse? You don't have to go down these lists, but some of these key things, if they don't necessarily know them, take the time to inform them. Um, The next one is what is age appropriate sexual development and what is harmful? So depending on the age and maturity of a child, teachers can be sensitive to patterns of healthy sexual development and what's typical for students. If your child mentions another child in their class is exhibiting unhealthy or harmful sexual behaviors, be very swift in speaking with that teacher or principal about this type of behavior. Don't let it go. Even if abuse has not taken place per se, your child should not be exposed to unhealthy or harmful sexual interactions, period. Um, The next one is learn school policies. We've mentioned this before. Most schools do not have policies in place for things like sexual harassment, assaults between students, as well as policies dictating interactions between teachers and students um but some do so when they do honor that and and be thankful and ask them you know where did you get this how can can i can i see it and if they don't um find out what is the reasoning behind that and then it's it's up to you to choose to continue either having your child at that school or if you're looking at a new school you know, is this the right school for your child? But another thing is that it's so important that you know, the if your children are in classes where it's just one teacher at a time with your child and to know, has that teacher gone through training or additional training for sexual abuse? A lot of times, especially this day and age, it is a, well I don't want to say it is a requirement because I don't know what's a requirement anymore but I know based on the schools that I deal with on a consistent basis it's a requirement for them to have their teachers go through um portal training where it goes over lots and lots of deep information about sexual abuse and their policies and they basically ask them a quiz at the end of going over you know a lot of the stuff we're talking about here but also confirming that they know their school's policies. And I love that um, because if you fail it, you don't, you, it's, it's, It's a, um, it's a meeting, you know, you have to go over, why did you fail this? And you get the opportunity to take the test again and know the information, but it's not an open book test. So some of these things are so important to know about your school. Um, Another thing is to encourage parents to educate their children. So if you're on PTA, or if you're a part of a parent group, or you hang out with a lot of different parents in your child's school why not talk to your parents uh, or those people that you're familiar with about this topic of sexual abuse, tell them that you're listening to a podcast or tell them about, um, Trees of Hope. Tell them about, you know, some information that you heard. If you've gone to one of our prevention workshops, share that information with them. Give them a Rise magazine. Encourage them to order a saint or a royal magazine or whatever, one of these resources. But don't just not talk about it just because it's uncomfortable. Um, I talk about it all the time, not just because I've been sexually abused, but because it's something I'm passionate about. And, you know, people can't help but be um, enga- or engaged or attracted to when someone's passionate. And when you're passionate about protecting children from sexual abuse, um, it's just, it, it's a natural conversation is, is what I'm saying. So you learn the information and then share it with as many friends or parents as you possibly can um another one is what is your school's reporting protocol so we talked about this that you know we're now been very made aware that there is not a lot of reporting protocol for these younger um, grades or high school down as in national reporting so that's alarming so what is the school's reporting policy is something that you probably want to know um you want to know is um if if something were to happen between a teacher and a student Do they report that? Um, And then also encourage your child's teacher that if they feel something is off, um, do they they report that? Like, and would they consider, as Holly said, some schools do call and say, hey, this child flashed another child. Like, it seems innocent or it seems small. Ask them, even on those small things, would you report that to me? I just want to know, like, where do we stand with that? And then the last one is make your child's teacher a trusted adult. So we talk about this at all of our prevention workshops that your child in every situation of their life should know who that one trusted adult is. So if they're on a team, okay, then is their coach the trusted adult? But that's after you as a parent have gone through a lot of vetting and you feel 100% confident and comfortable in that adult. So when your child is at school, is that teacher their safe person? Can and, and go to the teacher and say, I have made you that safe person for my child. So if anything ever happens, please know that, you, that I need you to be their eyes and ears. I also need you to be that person who tells me, um, you know, if my child tells you anything, that they're being bullied, that they're being sexually harassed, that something is off or making them feel really uncomfortable, that you feel bold enough and courageous enough to, Comfort them, support them, but also tell me. I need to know. Um, So last, we just want to end with, um, I know this can be overwhelming to hear and you can feel like, wow, no safe place. Um, I personally feel that that's a great Mindset that there is no safe place, but we don't want to leave you there. We we've given you some things that we think, you know, can help guide you in this process. But it starts first and foremost with you at home having these conversations. It starts with you um, investing in your child on a consistent basis in this topic and not ignoring it because it's uncomfortable. I cannot emphasize enough. It's important to start this conversation of sexual abuse as early as possible and you can start off by simply talking about body parts body safety um you know that their children are in command of their own body that they have the authority to say no especially to an adult um our heart and desire is that your child is safe and protected. And we hope that this episode has done that. And um, I'm so grateful for you plugging through all of it and listening through all of this. I know it was a lot, um, but I think it was some really great information and I'm so grateful for you, Holly, for sharing all this. You're so smart. You, you get this stuff. And um, I'm, I'm super blessed to have you on this podcast with me. Thank you
1: so much for having me again. I I always appreciate coming in and having this platform to have these discussions because like we talked about earlier too, often people aren't comfortable talking about it. So I'm glad that people have this place to come to and listen to, to people have a conversation about this topic and know that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to talk to your children about it. And the more you talk to them, the more you're protecting them and the more if something does happen, They're going to know that they can come to you. You're going to believe them and that they're going to be okay. And that's what we want our kids to know. No matter what happens, you are going to be there to support them. And you're going to be there for them throughout their entire life to be that safe person and safe place for them. Absolutely. Perfect. So we will see
0: you next time for episode 13. We love you guys and see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.